Welcome to the Your Brand, Your Story podcast. I'm Megan Ingram, founder of Ingram Digital Consulting, brand storyteller, data geek, and your host. In the debut season, we dive into 14 brand stories as told by industry leaders, company founders, entrepreneurs, and professional freelancers to uncover their origins, success paths, and key milestones. Listen as we discuss the state of digital marketing and other interesting and relevant business subjects like the future of work, diversity in the workplace, and freelancing fundamentals from our curated guest pool of creative, curious, socially conscious, and bold industry professionals with unique perspectives to inform and inspire future marketing leaders. We welcome Cross Palalas to the show, who is the VP of Strategic Optimization at Secret Sauce Media and has over seven years of digital advertising experience working with top brands and creators. Hi. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. Glad to have you on. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. So we'll dive in. You know, one, you know, I love hearing about people's stories and paths to owning your own agency. So can you talk a little bit more about kind of your road um, starting an agency at just 22 years of age? Yeah, definitely. So I always knew from the very beginning of my life, I was going to grow up to be a businessman on my dad's side. He was very big in the communications industry. My mom's side all had dealerships, import export businesses, that type of thing. So I said, I'm going to be a businessman. Don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be better than everyone else. (laughs) Uh, So I got to high school, took every business course available to me, which is when I really fell in love with marketing, started freelancing right away. And then when I hit college, I was like, you know what? I really want to work for a marketing agency. No one would take a young student who was in like first year, didn't have as much experience. Uh, So I was like, you know what? The only way to build experience is to have a job doing it. So I was like, you know what? It's very low cost to start your own agency um, to begin with, especially if it's just you. Uh, You can get a laptop, get free softwares. As long as you can learn things quickly, you'll be good to go. So I started that uh, originally just with hopes of building that experience. I had like very low, low revenue. It was just about trying to get as many clients as possible so I could build up that experience. And then it just started to kind of take off. Um, And I made sure that was always kind of a student agency to begin with. So I always hired other students in the same marketing classes. Um, That way we could all kind of move on eventually from it. We knew it wasn't something that I had planned on running for the rest of my life. Uh, But I was like, you know what? This sets us all up to go out there, get into big careers. And it just kind of started spiraling from there. Awesome. What did you learn during that path that elevated your success and enabled you to consult with some of the top brands and creators? Yeah. So a big thing um, at first was I wasn't as confident when I was talking to small businesses, like even local people. I remember I was like always just trying to like prove myself and prove myself. Uh, And slowly as time went on and like people started to acknowledge that I had a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill for someone my age. And I started to feel a little bit more confident with myself. That's when things really, really started to grow. It started to take off because then I was able to talk to someone and fully confidently know that although I'm the youngest in the room most of the time, I bring a lot to the table. Uh, and yeah. I learned that, like I said, quickly things started to grow from there. Uh, and then once you can prove it to the big guys once, 
they all start to talk to each other and it kind of grows and grows. Yeah, no, definitely. I can agree with that. And I'm sure being put in situations where like, cause a lot of times, you know, when I talk to other freelancers, they're hesitant, you know, being in selling situations or client facing situations can be unnerving for some people. So having that experience talking to people, I'm sure um, helped you as you were kind of trying to build the brand and move along in your career. Definitely. I remember when I first started, I knew I wanted local businesses. I was like, what's the best way to connect with these people? So I would literally go to craft shows with my business cards, talk to people about their business and be like, Hey, by the way, like I could see cool things in the digital world. If you ever want, here's my business card. Uh, That like forces you to get into sales and get comfortable talking to people when you talk to every booth. Yeah. We, I I run into that a lot too with like analysts and developer types because they don't generally like to be in front of like the clients and the people. And it's almost like get them to put themselves in those situations so that they feel more and more comfortable, um, in those spots where other people sometimes that, you know, they love, that's their favorite part. Like I love selling, but you know, it's not, it's not always for everyone. Agreed. bit now in getting into paid social, which, um, you know, I, I love paid social personally. I think there's a lot, a lot of cool and fun stuff happening in that space, but I'd love to hear what's your favorite part about working with paid social. Yeah. I think the best thing, my favorite part about it is the mix in terms of analytical and creative working together. Yeah. Uh, most parts of business marketing, uh, you're either one or the other. And when you're dealing with digital, you really need to know a good amount of both and be able to combine them because uh, you can read all the numbers, but unless you know the creative on how to change things and what you can test, um, it doesn't really help. And if you can build great creative, but you can't understand what's going on on all the ad platforms, then again, you're at that weak point. So being able to merge both sides together was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I, and I totally echo that. I think that's kind of what's what, what I've actually liked the most about paid social is being on the analytical side and kind of merging the two um, and people that kind of have that good mix of understanding the data because the optimization part is so huge. It's probably the most important part, in my opinion, of what, go, what goes on um, in terms of how to really make campaigns effective. What tips and tricks do you have that could help the audience with elevating their paid social campaigns right now? Yeah, definitely. In terms of paid social, when you look at Facebook, obviously it's a very big beast in terms of ads manager. Um, I always tell people utilize that boosting a post is literally just getting your stuff out there and getting some likes and comments. Uh, But if you get into ads manager and start utilizing the tools, there's some great things. My favorite tool that they have in there is the automated rules. I love it, especially (laughs) as you start to scale. Um, I hate having to go into an account every day and look at every number and make sure that I turn on this and turn off that. So to be able to set that all up so that based on how much I spent, as well as what the result is, it will either scale my budget, decrease it, or turn it off if it's not doing well enough. Okay. No, I I mean, I definitely agree with that. Are there any other sort of tips for navigating that you've seen been successful, especially in the last six months with any of your clients? Yeah, definitely. A big thing that I noticed, especially over the past year, obviously COVID was a big, big um, downfall to digital marketing for a while there. A lot of people started pulling their budgets, but those who can stick with it, um, I noticed tremendous, tremendous growth. Uh, There's some car dealerships uh, I work with in Canada and they had their best year ever in terms of sales during COVID because they continually 
put out as much as they could as if it was normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were able to get that return because while everyone else was fading away and you weren't seeing them anymore, they were still in your face. Uh, And I thought that was something that was really cool to see because first thing we do when, you know, money gets tight is we start to pull back Uh, and seeing that, you know, putting in the time, putting in the effort and putting in the money is still going to give you that kind of return. uh, Even when everyone else is starting to see a big drop. Yeah, no. And I, I, I completely agree with that point. I think oftentimes clients pull out too soon and they, they're not staying committed to the, to seeing it through because oftentimes you're being too reactive to what's happening in a given, in a given moment, as opposed to let, you know, see, you know, spending more time, seeing how the campaigns works, collecting more data and being able to optimize accordingly. Definitely. What you said about overreactive all the time, all the time. I see. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) You see, I pull up ad accounts and they're making changes like hourly. And I'm like, within that hour, the algorithm hasn't even really started to recognize the difference yet. Yeah. And you're already putting more changes through. So you're never getting out of any kind of learning phase. You're never going to get those optimal results because you're constantly just changing things and hoping for the best. Yeah. I also think it's being too reactive. Like I never like to look at the data too much week to week. For that reason, because like I had a client this morning, even as we speak, that said uh, they wanted to understand February for three days. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but, you know, the, the idea is like you should be looking at least on a monthly, like a two to three week interval so that you can actually see trends when you start to look at things. So, ta- you know, so in the details, then it can it's not really telling you what the, the true insights or optimization should be. Definitely. And I think another big thing is testing. Always, always. Yeah. I mean, again, going back to Facebook, they make it so easy in terms of being able to have, you know, the dynamic creative has been absolutely amazing to be able to put everything in there and let it kind of just figure itself out based on the person. You know, this one likes long text. This person likes video. Yeah. Uh, person likes, you know, this specific call to action and just have machine learning kind of do that work for you there while you're testing things is amazing. Yeah, no, totally agree. On the opposite side of the spectrum, what is the biggest obstacle you found stopping brands from achieving their paid social goals and the desired engagement and conversions that they want to achieve? Definitely. I think one thing, as we've already kind of talked about, is being very overreactive and always making changes, always looking at things a little bit too granularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think another thing is where to focus. I've talked to a lot of businesses who, because digital media is always changing, you know, TikTok came up for a bit now you know, Twitch is a big deal this year. It's always, always changing. And they feel like, you know what, if I go invest money into TikTok today, will TikTok be here tomorrow? Or am I going to be going to the new platform? Uh, And it kind of scares them and puts them back a bit. But I think a big thing is being on all those platforms and amplifying yourself as much as possible. Um, Even if I'm not saying put ad dollars into every single platform, maybe TikTok is not the right audience for you to put, you know, a lot of ad behind, but still have, you know, that organic content going over there and be able to still keep yourself in front of viewers. Yeah. And I think that's an important point because a lot, oftentimes clients will call out what what they'd say, what we call the maturity of the platform, right? So something like Facebook and Instagram has been around, been around for a while and it's very proven. Whereas something like TikTok and even Snapchat to a degree are less proven ad platforms. And so sometimes clients are hesitant to want to go down that road. Definitely. I think 
the earlier you adopt to these new platforms, the better results you're going to have, because as soon as it becomes more reliable, everybody else is going to be there. You're going to see a lot more high CPMs because everybody's competing to get in front of those audiences. But if you can be the first one there, then you're laughing. You have the best chance at really hitting that audience at a low cost. Out of curiosity, have you seen a lot of brands kind of hop on to TikTok over the last six months? I have seen a lot. And it's really funny. Some people utilize it really, really well. And I feel like a lot of the smaller brands and the smaller companies, the ones who utilize it the best. And then I feel like a lot of larger brands that I've worked with have just kind of hopped on the bandwagon and gone with like, let's just put our people doing dances. And I was like, well, that doesn't make me want to buy your product anymore. I promise you like (laughs) dancing and I'll like it, but that's the extent of where it's going. But I've seen a lot of you know, small, medium businesses. There's a glass blower. I love to see he sells, you know, hundred dollar products, uh, sometimes more just by going on there, posting a video of him doing the work he's already doing. Mm-hmm. Now his people are viewing it. It's entertainment. It's something you can learn from. If it's something you want to get into, he's showing you exactly how he does it. And then he's also in the comments saying, Hey, if you like this, if it's something you want, like check out our website. And yeah. you can drive that traffic, drive people to make purchases uh, just by putting content out there that's engaging and, you know, something meaningful towards his brand rather than just him going. Yeah, no, totally. What paid trends should brands be aware of? I know you're talking a little bit about TikTok. I'd also be interested um, as you kind of break down the audiences from B to B to B to C that could really impact uh, campaigns that people have running right now. Yeah, I think... Uh, getting to those other platforms is important and understanding that a lot of people think, oh, TikTok, it's just kids. I can't put my stuff on there. And I'm like, well, most of the people that come up on my TikTok are not kids. The algorithm is really good at finding the right stuff for you. Uh, most of the people I engage with on TikTok are well into their 40s. So those audiences are there. And until you actually go there and you see data, I would really recommend you don't just say, oh, it's a younger audience. We shouldn't do it. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's, that's totally smart and agreed. Paid social for me is not the only way, obviously, that you can amplify campaigns and your brand strategy. You know, I'm a personal believer in influencer marketing and using influencer marketing to amplify campaigns and content. How have you used influencer marketing in the last year that's really worked for you? Yeah, what I found is with the way everything's really gone is there's a large focus on those very more micro-sized influencers. And if you look, you can pay, you know, $10 million, have Kim Kardashian wear something for you. It'll get a ton of eyeballs, but it's not really driving people to convert. Whereas if you can find someone who's got maybe 10, 20,000 followers who are very dedicated to her, always commenting, always liking, you know, that woman can then take your products to them and say, Hey, this is the new leggings I'm wearing. I got it from them. They're amazing. I really like it. And they're much more likely to go and make that purchase because they're very invested in that person. Yeah. Uh, And I think more and more brands are starting to realize that if they start to focus on those smaller influencers, you can get, you know, for the same price, you can probably end up with a couple hundred micro influencers who are all have very dedicated audiences and drive the exact same amount of people over, but your conversion rate is going to be a lot higher just because they resonate more with the person 
No, that's, that's a great point. And I also think it speaks to, I think those types of people are more willing to work with you. Like, whereas a bigger influencer, they've got, you know, they've got so much going on. Oftentimes it can be one hard to even reach them. And if you do, they aren't as invested in what it is that you're trying to do. Whereas someone who's a micro influencer could, you get them really excited and passionate about what you do. And at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. I've seen celebrities, YouTubers, Instagram models who literally will just post a picture or video and have like the product beside them or in the background. And I'm like, what's that actually doing? Like I notice it's there, but yeah, I'm not going to, pur- I don't know what it is. I'm not going to purchase it. Whereas like those small people are really invested in taking the time. They'll try the product. They'll tell you exactly how they feel about it. And that's what you want from your influencer. You want them to really sell someone on the fact. So unless they're using it and they trust it, they believe it you're not going to get the same kind of result. No, totally agree. How do you foresee brands using influencer marketing in 2021? Definitely. So it's been great to see that as 2021 has already kind of just started, the data shows a lot of people are coming back online. CPMs across all the platforms have started to go back up um, over the last few months, but really picked up this uh, first quarter here in terms of new people coming in. With that, I think, like I said, a lot of what we're focusing on and what I'm seeing a lot of other brands focus on is that real engagement. Like people want a little bit more. You even see influencers themselves. If you look at most YouTubers, Joey Graceffa, for example, instead of just having their own merch, they're going with, you know, actual brands. They have, I think he has a wolf brand where um, Hmm. entire kind of like little luxury line of clothes that people can go buy. And it's not just, Joey Graceffa and words or his face on it. Like it's clothes that you would want to wear all over. Yeah. And it's smart because you have that dedicated audience. And if they can find clothing or products that they can use on a regular basis, they're definitely going to use it. Um, We are all very invested in a lot of different people's lives strictly just through the internet. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the overall trend that we're seeing with user-generated content oh, yeah. and what, what we call swag, you know, <laughs> having people like rock it, rock, rock the stuff. You've seen a lot of brands who've done this very effectively and have built really engaged communities around it because they're, they're much, they're willing to advocate on your behalf. They're really excited about what's going on. Um, and there's that aspect of really, um, you know, connecting with the users that are, that are about your community and brand. Yeah. I think somebody, if anybody wants to take a look at someone who's utilizing, you know, influencer marketing in a really great way right now, as well as different platforms is Manscaped. Uh, It's It's a body razor for males and they have done a great job. I think they're like the new version of Dollar Shave Club. I call it because Dollar Shave Club had like these really crazy marketing ideas when they first started and they were very out of the box and Manscaped's kind of taken it even further by having these, you know, crazy out of the box ideas and having user generated content for it. So having all these different yeah. people up on social media, doing their own little skits with it. No, I mean, it, it's extremely effective and it works. I mean, I've, to your point, that's a great example. I've seen a number of brands do it. Um, and especially if your focus is on building a community on a platform like Instagram, it's yeah. a great way um, to build engagement and, and to have people feel really truly connected. Definitely. And it also saves you money as a brand as well to have yeah. all that generated content. Like for you to go in and put all those videos and develop them yourself, you're going to spend a ton of money. But if people are willing to do that for you at, you know, 
just being able to put a little bit of money into it. And then once it starts going, people start doing it themselves. Now you have all this free user generated content coming in. Yep. No, totally agree. We're going to pivot a little bit into remote work. I know you are an advocate of remote work. I am as well. My agency is completely founded in sort of this all remote mentality. Now, I know everyone's kind of shifted more into the remote work landscape in 2020, but uh, I'm interested how you think the future of work is going to change for agencies in this new reality this year. Definitely. I love it. Coming from a world of agencies is if you want to be in a big agency, you always had to move. You had to go to New York. You had to go to LA, Seattle, Toronto. You always had to go to those big cities, kind of uproot your life to be able to do it. And if you didn't, you're kind of like, it sucks to be you. Whereas it's really opened the doors for global talent. So it's not about where are you, but how good are you Um, to be able to hire someone from you know, I'm in Canada to be able to hire people in the US, the UK, all over Europe, uh, the Middle East. It's amazing because it opens the door for much better talent when you have the whole world as your pool to bring in. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree on the talent point. I also think it's shifting how even large agencies really staff and how, how much employee versus freelance versus outsourcing that people even do in terms of what their what their staffing looks like. And I'm I'm actually I think it's gonna be really interesting over the next few years how how that changes just the overall mentality of agencies and just the future of the workforce. Definitely. I also like I've been looking at a lot of businesses who are doing kind of like a hybrid now where for you know majority of your time you're at home, you can spend there and then having like a very small office where people can go in, they can have like little desk stations they can go to. They can go into a boardroom and just like get to work with everyone again. And it gives you that best of both worlds. Cause at home, I know, you know what? I don't have to worry about somebody watching the dog or, you know, if you have kids and need someone to take care of them, especially with times like right now, whereas now you can deal with that and have your laptop right back there to get back to work again. Um, But then when you're needing that social life where you need, you know, to work with people to be able to go in and hands on with each other. No, and I totally agree. And I actually, I was a big hybrid person because I was a, I was a work from homer before even COVID. And I actually used to go to coffee shops or just different public places, uh, to co-working spaces to kind of get what you're saying. Like, I like working from home, but every now and then you like to kind of get out and have that more of that interaction, get out of the, the zone that you're in. And I found it to be very helpful. So I'm hoping slowly as we kind of get further along, the vaccine gets more distributed, that we'll start to move back into being able to do those kinds of things, because I think it is important to have a hybrid sort of mentality to this, so that people can be flexible to whatever they're feeling in a moment. Definitely. And I think as we start to see things open up, those who don't like the work from home life will start to shift towards liking as much more as well. I look at myself like I hate it every once in a while. Cause you end up stuck in four walls all day. Yeah. <laughs> you can get out and you know what, maybe all day you're working from the home office and then be able to go out for a walk, be able to go to the coffee shop, go yeah. out for dinner and then changes it so that you get more of the perks of being home rather than just the stress of looking around and always seeing the same thing. No, and, I, and that's a total, and that to me actually is one of my, is one of the best pros about work, work from home just as a, as a lifestyle 
because it's that flexibility, right? Like I like to be able to like work in different places or spots or do different things, um, just depending on what, even what the activities that I'm doing are in a given day. Same here. I mean, I set up an office slash den, I call it downstairs in the basement because we had a big room free. So, you know, I have my nice desk area here where I can focus on things very hardcore. I've got like a little creative area where I can get comfy, just kind yep. of sit there and do my thinking. All different spaces based on what it is I need to do. Yeah, no, and I totally agree. And I think, that, again, that's one of the best benefits of it. It's also like, like you're saying, it's the different types of activities. It's like sometimes I'm in a right on a day where I have, I'm doing a lot of writing and strategy type work. Other days I'm like very heavily on the phone or doing thought leadership type stuff and being able to have different zones for different mentalities is important. Being on the phone from home is my favorite thing because I like to move. <laughs> like, even when I'm on like the call with you, like I'm sitting here clicking pens, playing with business cards. So, for me, <laughs> walk around the entire house while I'm on a call instead of being stuck to like my desk area. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. Let's leave us with one big thing for paid social that you think will have, if you do this one thing, it will have an impact on your results. Definitely. I think the biggest thing, and we've already kind of brought it up, is don't look too granularly and be changing things based on the day, based on the hour. Look at things, you know, over the course of the month, over the course of the last two or three weeks, and be able to pick up trends on what really is performing well. And if you start to look at it based on that, you'll see you'll make a lot better decisions when you do decide to shift things. And your results will really start to grow because you're giving it time to actually pull in the data it needs to make informed decisions. I love that. Yep. I would echo that hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, that's, that's a great, great tip out there for people who are interested in doing more paid social this year. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today. Where can listeners find you? Yeah. So I am on basically every social platform. I follow my own rules. Uh, all you got to do is look up cross Palalis on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is you want to use, you'll find me. Definitely feel free to reach out and we can always discuss uh, digital marketing for you. Great. Well, again, really appreciate you coming on today and please find him on social. Tune in next week for the Your Brand, Your Story podcast and find us on social at The Data Outlier and our brand handle at Ingram Digital. To learn more about the podcast episode, go to www.yourbrandyourstorypodcast.com and continue the conversation or use the hashtag Your Brand, Your Story. We'd love to hear from you.